Mac Jones is ripped. Matt Patricia is calling plays. The Celtics are title favorites. And The Ringer has a new Boston show. I'm Brian Barrett, host of Off the Pike, the show covering all things Boston sports. I'll have shows multiple times a week covering your favorite teams and with your favorite Ringer and local guests. Plus, maybe Bill will stop by to rant about the Sox. Follow Off the Pike with me, Brian Barrett, now on Spotify. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. basketball is so 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 very good in the year 2023 it continues to be true the year of our lord Anno Domini however you pronounce that I don't know this is the answer my name is Jay Kyle Mann. I'm joined every week by the brilliant poet laureate of Edmonton Sirit Sohi aka Nav don't call her Nav I'm just needling her when I say that Sirit how are you doing in this brand new year do you feel recharged refreshed you know are you, are you are you just striding, exploding into this new year confidently? I'm ready for a fresh start this year. I'm doing the resolution thing for the first time in a while. I used to kind of not really believe in those things, but hey, just moving to a new apartment, so it seems like a good time to maybe maybe have some new habits, you know, all that stuff. But we'll see we'll see how long it lasts. You know, is if maybe this is going to be like a January thing, or maybe we'll make some sure long-term changes is this a resolution you want to keep to yourself or is it like is it something that you are willing to like inspire people to you know join you in your journey what's the situation yeah you know i know people are always always looking to me for inspiration so i try to i try to dole it out you know i'm generally a pretty private person but in this case you know just for the people uh some really unique stuff trying to wake up a little earlier I know no one like that that that's pretty that's pretty new. No one's really ever thought about that one before, especially at the start of a new year. Going to the gym a little bit more, trying to be more consistent as a human being. But really, you know, I'm turning twenty nine in a month. It's gonna be my last year in my twenties and there's just some areas where I still feel a little immature. And maybe that, you know, maybe hey, thirties and new forty and that stuff just lasts forever. But there's I'd like to tighten the screws in some areas, you know live a less chaotic life. I don't see why you don't just uh, lean into it. I don't know. I, I think I think if you're on the other side of it and you're beholden, like I'm, you know, happily beholden, you know, wife, mm-hmm. son, I like my life. But, uh, you know, when you're when you're kind of doing your own thing and you you don't really have to be beholden to anybody, I don't see, I guess, but, but getting up is good. Mm-hmm. Getting up and making the best of your time. You know, we're writers. I don't, but I don't know. Some different people work well. I was going to ask you, Something came across my purview today that annoyed me. I was trying to work at a coffee shop nearby mm-hmm. where I dropped my son off for school. Uh, dude on a, like a headset talking loudly on a call. Uh, I think those people should be thrown in jail. That's one thing that I just wanted to say. I wanted to complain about that up on the top of our show. Like, you know, we understand that you know some crypto terminology, buddy. Um, are you a work in public person? Just before we move on to the content here, I'm, I'm curious about that. Yeah, I love going to coffee shops and working. That is annoying. And I feel like it's something that's become increasingly common since we've all transitioned. A lot of people transition to work from home in a more permanent way. So you'll go somewhere else to work. 
And then people will start taking meetings the coffee shop and that can be fine as long as you're not too too loud about it but if you're just gonna be screaming and one thing that's really funny about LA is that like especially in my apartment complex I just moved to a new place and it's like you know it's the sound the sound carries a lot and people will just be screaming and I'll never know why it is but in my last place there was a guy who's clearly like you know some sort of executive who's just reams out every single person who makes any single mistake at all which i found to, to actually be quite common so this dude's just screaming in his apartment and now like he obviously doesn't have any peace but like now none of us can either because he thinks that something that's going on in his life is far more important than it actually is yeah and that's that's something i've noticed here it happens quite a bit you should slide a note, under, an anonymous note under his door and be like, hey, man, like you need to find some peace. You're mm-hmm. not motivating your team. You know, maybe the Nick Nurse approach of humiliating people isn't, <laughs> isn't working, you know, which is relevant a little bit to what we're talking about. Uh, there were some big, you know, talking about New Year. Uh, I think that the NBA, we had an awesome performance, a single game individual performance from Luca to end the year with his with his massive uh, 60 something point game uh, for the Mavs against the the Knicks that we talked about, the Bill and I talked about on the BS pod. But there were a couple really big performances last night in the NBA that I thought were uh, were noteworthy. The first one is uh, Clay Thompson, the Mellow King, uh, erupted for 52 on the Hawks last night in an overtime uh, win for the Warriors. Um, that was the season high for him in three-point attempts. He went 10 for 21, only took two free throws in that game. Uh, I was looking back on like the game finder on Stathead. Only five players in history have scored over 50 points on two or fewer free throws, and they're all jump shooters. Clay did it again in 2018 with the Bulls. Steph did it in 2016 against the Magic. Had a huge game. Jamal Murray in 2021 and Dana Barros way back in 1995. So all shooters. Did you get a chance to watch uh, the, the Mellow King do his thing last night uh, and, and go off against the Hawks? Dana Barros is a deep cut. Yeah, it was. I have to say, Kyle, I was watching it after the fact. And I was really shocked by the ease of some of these shots, especially as he got on more and more of a heater. Like, Clay was just sort of walking into these. Even at the start of the game, it was a little bit like, hey, guys, this is, I don't know if you know this, but this is Clay Thompson. Like, if you're going to switch on the screen, you might want to get up there. And that was that was everyone on the Hawks, by the way, from, like, Anyeka Okongwu, who, you know, you would expect to do a little bit better, to Trey Young, to even, um, you know, even Murray. Even Deontay Murray was just, not doing a great job on him, which is really, really weird because he was brought in for defense and he's an excellent defender and he's kind of the type of guy that you'd assume would be lab designed to make sure that there's a hand up very, you know, just very close to Clay Thompson's face. But there was just not a lot of resistance from the Hawks. And while it was an incredible Clay performance and I'm happy that he's, you know, getting getting closer to, to the guy that he used to be, it's always lovely to see Clay play well. Um it was almost more of an indictment of the Hawks' defense than anything else. Yeah, I I think the point you made about their defensive just sort of the the cohesion and like the you know defense defending as a team requires a lot of like duty to your your teammates, a lot of extra mm-hmm. little effort to like because there's overlap between jobs. No no man is an island unless you're guarding literally on an island in an ISO situation. And last night. You know, well, we know Clay is a guy that comes off of screens and that calls for a lot of communication. It calls for a lot of coordination between like, how are we defending this? You get up and get over the screen. I'm going to meet him at the level. We know that Clay is a rhythm shooter, a rhythm scorer. Um, And it was amazing watching. And you're right. Like one by one, it was like you just go down the line like DeAndre Hunter uh, wasn't getting close enough. Wasn't it doing his work early? Deontay, you know, Deontay Murray. He and Trey had horrible communication and off-ball screens. It came from a variety of areas. We saw like off-ball cuts. We saw pin downs. We saw like flex screens where he'd pop to the ball and shoot. Um, I know we're going to talk more about Atlanta in the future, but, um, you know, granted the Warriors did give up a lot of points too. The game went to overtime, but it was just kind of amazing. I don't know. It it seems like Atlanta's kind of ripe for a change coming up. The body language is just not good. Yeah, the vibes are really off. And it's really weird because this is probably the best collection of defenders that you could put around Trey Young 
and it just hasn't really seemed to make much of a difference. It's just kind of strange. Like they started off the, the season, their defense was actually better than their offense. Their offense hadn't quite figured it out yet. It was a lot of my turn, your turn with Deontay Murray and Trey Young. And now the defense has also fallen off a cliff again. And I just, it feels like this has been the story with the Hawks for the last pretty much since they went to the playoffs and, and made that great run. They just can't string together a collective effort on defense for 48 minutes. And they're just super inconsistent. And they don't, you know, to your point, they just don't seem to want to play for each other. This team has just had really questionable chemistry for a really long time. And now, you know, there was the whole thing between Nate McMillan and Trey Young and, and that shoot around, whether he was going to play or not. And there's always been noise around Trey Young, just, you know, how his teammates feel about him, whether they like playing with him or not. And just the play style in general, like the, the level at which he dominates the ball and you know, does yeah, it just doesn't really allow room for other people to breathe. It seems like it's catching up to them. It seems like, regardless of the pieces that you put around him, there has to be a shift in either his mentality or maybe just a shift in general. I don't know if that means a move right away. Like obviously, John Collins has been on the trade block for pretty much as long as he has been in a Hawks uniform, or maybe it's a coaching change. There was a report in the Athletic that Nate McMillan actually is co- like is almost considered resigning and. So far, you know, his relationship with Landry Field seems like it's, it's positive. But at the same time, like, if you look at the Hawks, I don't know that you can see that you can watch them and think there's anything genuinely positive going on there. Yeah. It, talking about, like, the chemistry thing, when when you watch a team, like, that doesn't communicate well, I was joking with KOC the other day that, like, um, I, I've kind of developed an eye for teams that don't get along. <laughs> but one of the, because I always played on teams that were bad. You know, and, like, energy depressed. attracts energy, right? Yeah. 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 Well, I'm just saying that, like, they, that's definitely where it comes from. It's like you 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 do that little work because you believe that at the end of the day that like everyone else is doing it for you also. There's like a there's sort of um there's there's an economy of accountability I think among your teammates and it's like but you, you feel like you owe it to them because you know that like the the process is going to re- produce a product at the end. And you just don't get that vibe from them. And you know Bog- Bogdanovich has been rough this year defensively. I mean, Clay took him to the rim a couple times in rough fashion, uh, or he just he made it look easy. Uh, and Clay's not exactly a bully around the rim. Um, but you know, and the other thing with Trey too, like offensively, if you watch him move, one of the things that he does that really drives me nuts is like when he is not a part of a play on the weak side. His idea of spacing the floor is he'll or like creating off ball kind of tension is he'll just kind of like drift into like the 30 foot range have you ever seen him do mm-hmm. this and it's like you're kind of well, if you've watched the hawks you've seen him do this yeah it's like you're kind of helping but you're really not like if you would just move and it's i don't know i just feel like we're just wringing our hands and and then you watch guys go elsewhere and thrive playing in different you know different settings like herder um it, it's just uh it's it's sort of a confounding thing to watch. You also kind of have the thing where I, it makes you wonder what's the end point for this experiment. And I know we'll probably talk more about this in future episodes, but um, at what point do they kind of zoom out and go like, hey, man, this this whole era was very promising. You know, they they blitzed uh, a poorly, you know, a team that had a huge weakness in the Knicks back, you know, in 2020 with Julius Randle. And then they they also, you know, they surprised the 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 Sixers in that in that same playoffs with their kind of wobbly. The Sixers are always kind of wobbly that team, and and they exploited them. It just makes you wonder if that's going to be looked back on as sort of like an aberration and an overall experiment that didn't really work. You know? Yeah, I think a big part of that run was just the, the ridiculous shots that they were making, uh, the comebacks that they had. I think it almost taught them the wrong lessons. And I think if you look at their system, like. Herter is a great example of this, right? Like Herter is now a system that really prizes movement and passing amongst, you know, pretty much every player on that team. And he's really thriving. And I think that it's really suited for role players to play well in, whereas Atlanta's system is really superstar oriented. And there's ways that you can get around that. But I think that I always tend to favor a more role player oriented system that also you know, plays to the strengths of the superstars because the superstars are going to figure it out. Yeah. They're going to find a way to make it happen for themselves no matter what, right? But the way the Hawks play, it's like Trey and and, and Murray play such a pick-and-roll heavy game that it puts everyone else in that same position too. When I don't necessarily know that that's like the best use of a DeAndre Hunter 
type of player, you know, like maybe some diversification, the offense could go a long way for them. Just getting a little bit more stuff going towards the paint that it doesn't necessarily have to be just a lob thrown towards John Collins and stuff too. Like that's, it's another player whose offensive game is really stagnated in this new system. Who's like sacrificing probably more than ever. And to, like to what end, right? Like if the wins aren't going to rack up, then the guys aren't going to keep doing it. Like that's kind of the bottom line here. Like maybe there's a version of this team where if they have a couple more wins, then they buy in a little bit more and they play a little harder on defense and they roll a little harder and they're a little bit more okay with the shots that Trey is taking. But it's just not the case right now. So you got to look at it and say, okay, well, what exactly is broken and how do you fix it? Yeah. Yeah, I think you summed it up earlier that just the the vibes, vibes matter. I know that that's sort of an mm-hmm. unquantifiable thing at some point, but the vibes are just kind of not good. Oh, yeah, I texted you before this and I was like, <laughs> I was like, hey, yeah, they just don't have any heart. And you're like, well, dude, did you see that I'm cleaning the glass? Well, yeah, they just, yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, it, it, performing and just kind of being that selfless sort of like duty to your teammates and things like that. That's where those things start to kind of eke out and, you know, the resolve of the team. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Speaking of good vibes, I mean, the the, the vibes in Cleveland are much better. And last night, uh, Donovan Mitchell had a historically and historically, I always grammatically make that mistake, but they had an incredible game. Uh, last night, he scored 71 points. Uh, only got three points in the first quarter. I thought that was pretty fascinating. He scored 71. Um, yeah, last night he went, but he went 20 for 25 from the line, basically went off. Did you notice anything? Um, what What did you love about that Donovan Mitchell performance last night? I'd say probably just a variation in the ways that he got buckets. Uh, it was a really fun performance, and it's been a really fun year from, from Mitchell. Uh, he has really just, like, he's kind of mastered all of the different parts of his game that he's been trying to diversify for the last few years. Like, pretty much since he's been in the league, he's been a guy that you'd look at and say he has the potential to be an elite three-level scorer, but the process of getting there is a lot more difficult than it looks. And I just, I think he's really, the thing that I love about this Mitchell year and Mitchell in general is just how much his career exemplifies winding road of development. It's like, it's just not linear. And I think that he's a great example of that. If you look at his percentages from pretty much everywhere on the floor this year, they've, they've increased. Now, some of that is probably, he's, he's probably on a bit of a heater from the three point line, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's shooting a career high three, uh, 69% from the rim. And his first two, first four years in the league, that number, like it started at 61 and it actually went up and down for a while. And a lot of his numbers have done that, you know, his mid range accuracy, his field goal percentage just, just generally, he's taken a lot of efficiency dips in his career. And I think that it's lent itself to a lot of moments of either fans of other teams trolling and just saying he's like a, you know, like a discount and a Jordan Clarkson or something like that to just questions about what his overall ceiling was. But the reality is like when you're trying to build a lot of difficult skills into your game, it just takes a long time for it to all come together. And this is a season where it's all come together for him and all of the pain of like the misstep back threes and like the, the off foot floaters and all that stuff is actually, is finally coming to fruition. And I just, I love Donovan Mitchell. I've written a bunch of stories about him and like through, throughout his career, like from his rookie year, like, you know, he, he got to Utah and they were like, okay, this guy's way better than we thought he was. We can give him a lot more to chew on. They, then they gave him a lot to chew on. Like the first two months of his career, they gave him like a, a finishing package that had 11 different moves on it, which is not typically something that you do with, uh, with rookies, but he was just able to take in all that information. And, you know, just he kind of did that with every facet of his game. And now it's just, it's really, really paying off. And yeah, it's just awesome to see. Yeah, I enjoyed how, you know, in the out in our outline, you know, I, I you were talking about his development and the long and winding road and how it can be, you know, nonlinear at times. And you posted this article in here and I was like, oh, that looks cool. Let me click on this article. Let me see. Yeah, it's an article you wrote. I love how you're just pushing your own art. <laughs> you're, mm-hmm. you're pushing your own work in our outlines. And I also want people to know that uh, Sirid is a messy, you know, she, like, I come in here and I have this very clean, the fonts are the right sizes, things are bolded in the right places so you know where what's where. And Sierra comes in here and she's messing with font sizes, she's using different typefaces. It just, you've made a mess of my really clean outline and I, I'd really like you to explain yourself briefly if you could. So are you saying that 
because earlier in this conversation, you said I should just let things ride and not necessarily worry about my New Year's resolutions and all that stuff. Because all I was, hey, I just want to live a less chaotic life. I want to be a little bit more organized. So, Kyle, what do you actually think? I just think we have like a Felix and Oscar thing going on here with the cleanliness of our of our work here. I just think your outline your outlines kind of look like the Riddler. Like, you know, I just feel like your outlines kind of look like a serial killer did it. It's like all different, you know, it's just it's a it's just very busy, but it's fine. And I think the point going back to Donovan Mitchell, I'm giving her shit, folks. Uh, you know, it's fun to tease here if you haven't figured that out by now. But Mitchell, I think you hit it. I mean, he's a three-level scorer. And like last night, they were spamming the pick and roll in a way. You know, Chicago threw multiple defenders at him. It didn't seem to matter. Last night, he he did 42 direct pick and rolls, which was in the 99th percentile for single game performances this year. They just hit him over and over again. He really had the whole kind of repertoire working. And we knew that he was like a good deep pull-up shooter. We knew that he had developed that. He perennially is up in the stratosphere with with the Stephs of the world, you know, he he just he's a consistently good shooter in that sense. And it's interesting just to see that his value was maybe I don't know, so the, the malaise of the Utah situation caused a lot of like weird value assessments for players who moved on. You know, the Gobert thing was kind of the opposite end of the spectrum where Minnesota clearly maybe overvalued him. Um and Cleveland, Michael Pena in, a, in an article he wrote, our guy wrote for the ringer wrote that uh, you don't typically get it uh, like a score in their prime at this age at age 25 and Cleveland did. And I think that he's a really good, he's a really good fit for what Cleveland wants to do. I feel like his sort of like dynamism with, with Garland specifically uh, is great because mm-hmm. he's the number one score. And I don't feel like it's been a big deal that he's come into Cleveland and assumed that mantle. I feel like his leanings work for what Cleveland wants to do and sets the other guys up to do what they want to do. Yeah, I remember feeling like they gave up a lot for him. And I was kind of, I was a little bit iffy on how I felt about the trade. I felt like Cleveland had one of the best young cores in the league. I don't think they actually still do. Um, they were number number two in uh, the Ringers' uh, young core rankings. And that was after the Mitchell trade. So they're still pretty young. But I just remember feeling like, ah, this is a little soon. Like, they just had this incredible year. You don't really know what happens with young teams. Like, there can be a lot of regression. They gave up. I mean, they gave up a ton. They gave up three unprotected first-round picks. They gave up Markkinen. They gave up Colin Sexton. And right now, it looks like that's really, really paying off. Uh, the chemistry on that team is great. And they have – what they have is all the markers of contention. They have a top-10 offense. They have the best defense in the in the league. They have the number two net rating, excellent room protection. They have multiple creators. And now I'm sort of wondering, you know, should they double down? This is kind of what we want to talk talk about. We should this tease episode. this. We should tease this for our next segment, yes. I think. Yeah. Now that now that we've gotten through all of the incredible performances that happened last night, uh, which by the way, the NBA is on a heater right now. Oh, baby, yes, it is. It's incredible. You can't go like you can't go one night without something historic happening. Like we haven't even. I feel like we barely even talked about Luke on this podcast. Obviously, we've had on the site we've had some pretty great coverage of him. So that's part of the reason why. But there's just so much fun fun stuff happening in the league right now. But yeah, this is kind of with the trade deadline approaching. This is kind of what we wanted to talk about today. Is you know teams that are trying to sort of assess where they are there are a lot of teams this this year that they are in different positions than what they actually expected to be at at, you know we're hitting the midpoint of the season now and that can kind of change your decision making going into the trade deadline going into pretty much any decision right you have to look at it from the perspective of what are our goals and how far are we from them and how feasible is that too i think that's a big part of this conversation as well is you know what's actually available like it can be a lot harder to change course than it actually seems. It's really easy to say, Hey, like we're not very good. We need to tank or we're really good. We need to actually, you know, keep going in this direction and, and see if, if we can actually make a run for it all in the Eastern conference, especially that's a very, you know, difficult assessment to make of yourself. I think it's just, it's just completely loaded. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's just, you know, you know the nets are, <laughs> the nets look like they're kind of, the favorites now and you know if you want to argue against that i won't be mad at you because the celtics are right there and and i think like the the bucks you know despite whatever happens a regular season i'm not going to ever count them out uh by the time the playoffs come around so it's just it's absolutely loaded in the east but the the, the Cavs, i look at i'm like 
do you want to start making the move to see if you can get in on the game this season? Let's well, let's let's uh, let's put a pin in that. And we'll we'll hit that after in our next segment. We want to talk. You you summed it up nicely. That I think that there are some teams that are close. I think we should evaluate the their their level of self awareness in our opinion, and we're going to do that on a few different teams, and then figure out you know who should who could be key buyers and key sellers at the deadline. Uh, and, and parse out some of the details of that. And we're going to do that after the break. Looking to get more out of this NBA season? Well, now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's free bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to touchdown scores to over-under yards. Right now, I like taking Memphis to win the conference. Uh, the odds are plus 550, and they're only 0.5 games back with the fourth easiest schedule remaining. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger pay with the same game parlay. FanDuel is also now live in Ohio, so make sure you get in on the action also with great offers just for you now and throughout January. So don't miss a chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in free bets when you join FanDuel with promo code RINGERNBA. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Disclaimer, 21 plus in select states. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLE or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342 in Arizona, one 888 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY at 467-369 in New York. 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia. So every year around this time, I feel like there is this interesting conversation about the haves and the have-nots. And teams, it, it's always interesting to sort of like parse which teams, where where they are, how they think of themselves, whether or not that's realistic and teams that are kind of in the middle or like near the in between the top and the middle um should they make a move uh, there there are, there are various there's a variety of teams like that this year but i feel like there's sort of a glut of teams who are in a position to not necessarily rebuild but pivot you know and i feel like the toronto raptors are a really interesting team this is a team that you have had perennially a lot of exposure to i feel like you're you're really dialed in as as a as a canadian uh as a great white north's person uh i, I the raptors how would you assess where they are are they close are they super far away um wh- how are you feeling about the toronto raptors right now sirit I think this has been a pretty revelatory season. In a not-so-good way, right? You know, in a not-so-good way in the short term, but I think in the long term it probably gives them some information that will be useful to them. Uh, They've obviously really struggled out of the gate. Uh, We were all kind of hoping for a jump, and it hasn't happened for a number of reasons. They've dealt with some injuries, but, you know, even even with Siakam uh, back, they're 11-16 and with Siakam in the lineup. Uh, last night, they got Precious Achua back. They got Fred Van Vliet back. And they actually played what was one of the most... They lost to the Pacers, but I think they played one of their more, more promising games of the season, uh, just in terms of balance and defensive effort and all those things, which have been really lacking with the Raptors this season, which is really strange. It's, you know, the Raptors are a team that I think for the last two years, you've looked at, the, looked at them and said, well, you don't really want to go in there and, and play them. They're going to be physical. They're going to run on you on transi- in transition. Uh, they're going to defend. They're just going to be difficult. Nick Nurse is going to throw out 40 different defensive schemes in one game. There's just going to be like a box in one in, in, in the third quarter for what seems like no apparent reason. But, you know, just finding a way to you know shut down the stars for the most part and, and make they make you find ways to beat you that, that get you out of your comfort zone. That's what the Raptors have been for, you know, the last little while. And 
this season has just been a complete turn away from that. You know, it's, it's just been really weird to see them be a low effort team, despite having the same personnel that they've had for a while. That could be fatigue. Uh, they've been playing a play style that, you know, I think they're, they have, they have four guys in in the NBA that are, you know, the top 25 in in distance traveled. And, you know, that's gonna, that's gonna catch up to you at a certain point. But I think that overall, you look at their core, Pascal, OG, Scotty, despite, you know, he's having the sophomore slump, which we'll talk about at some point. That's, that's your three. And I don't think that they're a team that necessarily needs to go away from either of those guys. But I would look at them and say, okay, this is a really promising core, but they could use a little bit more of an injection of talent right now. Now, Wes Goldberg wrote a really good feature for the Ringer on the Miami Heat, and it gets into the pitfalls of a lot of the same things that the Raptors are actually known for. Uh, being the, being a team that might not necessarily have the most top end talent, but is really good at development and ultimately, you know, what they lack in talent, they'll make up for in, in defensive effort and in intelligence and in just kind of beating you on the margins. But the thing is, they're, their their margin for error is really really razor thin as a result of that and now they're in this place where they don't really know they are in the zone of we are trying to contend but they don't know if they have enough and i think if the rat even if the raptors won you know if they turn it around they end up winning 50 games or something this season which is kind of out of the realm of possibility at this point uh but even if they do turn it around somewhat this season has given me enough to chew on that I start thinking, okay, does it make sense for them to, you know, retool and do, you know, kind of redo the whole Tampa tank. And that's kind of, you know, Masai just, you know, he's one of, one of his, he's, he's, he's got, he's a guy who's known for the things that, that he says, but you know, it just like playing for what was the thing that he said. So I don't think that he's going to be like dying to get the Raptors in the play, playing game, but at the same time, it's a really, I think, tedious time for the Raptors to be trying to make a lot of deals too because there just isn't a lot out there that I think is going to move the needle for their for their you know their their future and their present which is I think the direction they should be thinking in right now yeah I think their situation poses a lot of questions that are that are important I mean I, I described to you I said I, I, I preface that I'm not a car player at all but I was like it kind of feels like the Raptors are like sitting at like 15 or 16 and trying to decide whether or not to hit because they're kind of close. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of quality NBA players. I mean, the questions about like, why aren't they defending as much? Are they worn down? I mean, you hear people talk a lot about like what NBA players are willing to do. There's almost like a college atmosphere in terms of like the defensive activity and like the style of play and things like that. The sum, you know, they they were overachieving, in my opinion, based on they they built this weird roster. They were really active. They were super switchable. But at the end of the game, at the end of the day, you can annoy people and act as sort of like a gatekeeper for whether or not teams are for real or not. But that does not mean that there there is a difference. There's another level to do you have the superstars, and that's kind of what this is all about to achieve at the highest level and it's like the nba is all about the methods of doing that and there's if you look at like a team like this that has something that works i think that eventually it probably would have even back out based on the guys that they had out based on scotty's regression from year one to two i feel like that would kind of i feel like that's going to level out um and then they're getting precious back you know you get fred van bleed into a situation that's optimized for him so that he can play better I do think that they have a team that sort of makes sense, but it's like missing that final piece. It's missing that superstar piece. And, you know, you can talk about like whether or not a team works all you want and optimize it. But at the end of the day, you were talking about how Brooklyn is now the favorite. It's like, okay, that's kind of demoralizing when you think about like the Boston's put together this incredible team that works well. And then all of a sudden Mm -hmm. Brooklyn can decide to get their shit together and they're going to be the favorite in the East. Like that's kind of that's kind of frustrating. Yeah, I mean, if you make the if you want to take the blackjack analogy even further, the Raptors have a fifteen or a sixteen, and the dealers got a, a king, right? Yeah, like this is the Eastern Conference we're talking about. The chances are, even if you, it's not a bad hand, you know, you don't really love hitting on it, but you kind of have to. Yeah, you're probably not going to come out like come out winning on, on that end of it, but you know, if you hit, you're still you're, you're the chances of you you know blowing up your hand are also pretty high. Like it's just it's not really. 
in the short term, it's not really an enviable position to be in. Now, it's it's a weird thing for the Raptors, depending like on which direction they decide to go. Because I think if they want to salvage the season right now, the the issue is pretty clear. It's this, you know, the the all wing experiment, which has been fun, and I think has probably given them their core. Um, has its drawbacks, and right now its drawback is that you know the Raptors just don't get a lot of going towards the rim, and they they just have really bad rim protection as well. They just don't have a true center, and this is where all of the sort of moving parts of the NBA become really fascinating as well. Because on the other end, you have a team like the Indiana Pacers, which is kind of on the opposite spectrum of, of the Raptors, where we were really expecting them to lose and for them to finally trade Miles Turner and, you know, find a deal for Buddy Heald and just embrace the tank, go for Wemby and just continue to build this young core that they have. But the thing is they're playing really well right now. And, you know, Shams reported about 10 days ago that Miles Turner is in extension talks with the Pacers. So that takes a guy that I think the Raptors were interested in that would have, you know, fit, in and, 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 and fix a lot of their problems would have also spaced the floor for them, would have probably, you know, juiced up their half court offense as well as improved their defense. Maybe he's a little harder to get now. I don't, I imagine he's not completely off the table. Uh, but at the same time, it's just going to be a little bit more difficult to get him now than it was probably two months ago. So maybe they can go in the direction of, you know, going for like a Mobamba type or bringing Jakob Pirtle back if they don't want to put too many assets in. And yeah, one thing I kind of like is a, is a James Wiseman flyer. I think he could be interesting in that developmental system and maybe actually be a guy that might be ideal because I don't think James Wiseman is contributing to wins right now. Um, safe assumption. Same, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. I know. Yeah. You like to, you know, I like to, I like to bring the heaters here. Yeah. Um, but Scalding. at the same time, he could be a guy that fits into, fits into the future and also fits into the, the current rotation. That could be a direction that they decide to go in, but it all depends on, what else is available and at the same time i also kind of want to kind of look at it and think hey why not just change direction mid-season it's really easy to say okay the raptors should just tank and it's also probably easy to say that about a team like the pacers too uh, but with the raptors it's like you know you got a bunch of guys that really want to prove something og on and came into the season saying i want to win defensive player of the year Siakam has incentives on his contract where if he makes an all NBA team that is going to increase his contract. So if you want to go the tanking route, then you probably start like you need to have a hard conversation with Pascal Siakam. And on the Pacers front, it's a, it's the sort of other end of it where there might not be actual tangible contract things going on, but at the same time, you know, watching the game yesterday, you got a player like Buddy Heald who is, you know, just, adding new elements to his game. His dribble drive game has improved. His, his finishing better with his left. And you got Ty Halliburton, who's made another leap. And, you know, you got Matherin, who doesn't really matter what's going on near the rim, uh, but he's going to he's gonna go to it. Or, and now he's, he's building on that too. That type of momentum, you don't necessarily always want to, you know, curb it just because of the sake of, you know, playing the math and, and, and trying to get another guy. So it's really hard. It's really easy for us to do this in like a 2K version and say, okay, the Raptors clearly not going to make the playoffs. Let's just shut everything down. And the Pacers, while they're having a great season, it probably makes more sense for them to, to take a step back and try to accumulate more talent too. And, and, and to actually like, you know, to avoid being the situation that the Raptors are in right now, to avoid being the situation that we're here in right now. But these things they grow organically and it's it's kind of it's just difficult to uh to just retool on the fly like that yeah you're talking about the raptors issues right now they're like you know in the offensive and offensively and defensively these things tend to mirror each other you know if you're not good at pressure in the ball you're probably not going to have great dip, dribble penetration because both of those things are kind of encompassed in one player and for them the the mm-hmm. you know the interior guy now precious helps with some of this stuff but uh, the Raptors are tied for 23rd in the league in pick and roll points per game at five and a half. Uh, and they are 26 in the NBA in points per possession on that front. Um, they're 29th in spot up points per possession at 0.973 and 27th in uncontested three. So basically, you kind of get the you're you're tracing the outline of like the spine of a functioning offense. Basically, there's a lack of downhill there's a lack of downhill pressure that's creating that's cr- leading to a lack of like open shots and i think that penalizes everyone i think that that puts everybody in a tough situation now siakam 
I think you you just get put in a situation where you're probably going to have to curate your core a little bit because, and the point I was going to make earlier that I didn't quite make is just that how often, and this is the problem with being in the middle is because how often is a superstar imported into a team that is functioning and takes them to the next level? Now, the Raptors have done this before. Lightning struck when they were able to pry Kawhi Leonard away from the Spurs, and that was an awesome, fortuitous situation. The Warriors were able to add KD, which I kind of don't even count that situation. I just don't, I feel like importing a superstar like that, usually through free agency, I don't feel like you're going to be able to, it would take too big of a bite out of their team to trade for somebody like that, I feel like. But I guess the question that it kind of suggests here is that how much, how much do we, we kind of have to gauge our belief in these three guys as superstars. Pascal has sort of, he's really, really developed and gotten a ton better as like a creator, as a shooter, as a downhill force. Scotty, I don't know about offensively. Do you, do we really, which, which of these guys is the, the, the most primed candidate to be like the number one option on like a, like a real contending team in your opinion, can they keep all three of them or is there one of them that they could afford to punt? Now these, these are three forwards kind of similar in size, switchable. They do similar things. Is there one of them that they could maybe parlay into a sit into a, an, a scenario that could help them in the, in the short term? What do you think? I think Pascal is probably the guy that you'd look at and say is closest to being a superstar. He's on that line. I think it depends on how you look at it. Um, I think if the Raptors are playing better than they are right now, I think we're having more conversations about the leap that Pascal has made. Um, he's a great playmaker, you know, excellent going on, going one on one. He is doing pretty much everything for the Raptors right now, and it just hasn't been enough. Um, and I think that just speaks to how everyone else is playing on the team, right? I don't think it necessarily speaks to Pascal. Now, when it comes to those guys together, uh, yes, they fit similar size profiles and everything, but at the same time, I think that they just fulfill different roles on the court. I think Scotty is more of your, you know, playmaking, cerebral, feel of the game type of guy that's going to, like, pour in his buckets when he's supposed to. And I think, you know, he's had a weird season, too, um, where he's kind of been trying to add new stuff to his game, getting away from maybe the stuff that really makes him good. Uh, but him and Siakam, you know, last year, and when Scotty is sort of, you know, playing that aggressive going to the, the rim game, they have great chemistry because they're both really good playmakers and they're both really unselfish guys that make that make quick decisions. And an OG, on the other hand, is more of your traditional 3, three and D, you know, spot up, you know, drive off the spot up type of guy as well. So I don't think that their skill sets necessarily you know, get in the way of each other. I think if anything, if there's a guy that I'm looking at um, and and saying that I might want to deal him, it's Fred Van Vliet. Mm. Now, there was a better time to trade Fred, Fred Van Vliet. It's not right now. He's gone from pretty much all-star to probably being like the lowest his, his trade value has been in, in a while. Um, but when I look at this team, I think the other thing it's missing outside of rim protection is just natural playmaking. Now, Fred is awesome. He is a great leader. He is just, he's, he's great in the locker room. He holds everybody accountable. He's, you know, a good scorer and all that stuff. But at the same time, like when you talk about, you know, they're, they're, uh, the 27th, you said in pick and roll scoring. Well, that's, that's, that's Freddie getting into the lane and just never looking up once he gets into the paint, just not being a, a pick and roll playmaker, just not really being a table setting type of player, which is, I think what this team needs, because right now, like their isolation frequency is way, way too high for, for, you know, their relative skill sets on that, that side of the ball. They just don't have a lot of cohesion. They need somebody who is going to, you know, not necessarily be as worried about his own scoring load, which, you know, it too, you know, to, to, uh, to Freddie's credit is something he's had to do for this team, right? He's had to kind of be that guy that puts a team on his back and tries to, you know, just will a bunch of points together, even if it might not be the most efficient thing. But they're kind of transitioning to a new place right now. I think they need someone a little bit more cerebral. Uh, is there someone that you have in mind? I mean, I feel like we both kind of, uh, we, we talked about maybe potentially if they did move. It's fun to think about OG moving to a contender. It's fun to think about OG moving to the Cavs. It's fun to think about OG moving to the Grizzlies. I know in our mm -hmm. ringer group chat, we've had discussions about uh, if the Grizzlies and the Raptors did connect for a trade, which which would be a better fit, OG or Siakam? Um, I, I just I'm kind of trying to think. 
I don't I don't honestly know that there is a pivot move for them that makes sense because you you hit it on the head when you talked about the NBA is all about the status quo. Like you can build a really cute roster that functions together, but if they come up against superstars, the elite, it's like at the top of the league you're looking at like in the next few years, you got to be thinking this way. You got to be thinking about the fact that like Tatum and Jalen Brown are going to be together for a while. The KD Kyrie combo is probably going to be around for probably two or three more years. KD's getting a little older. I don't. I don't want to put a cap on what he can do at what age. But and then you think about there's Embiid, there's Giannis. It's you go down the line. Where are they going to get the superstar punch? Is, is that playmaking going to be enough to sort of act as a facsimile or like a a substitution for that? Do they need to get a superstar? How are they going to get one? That's kind of the question that I'm wondering. Or is there somebody that you think is a great fit that could that could elevate them in the short term? Well, I mean, if we're going to circle around and not trading for Kevin Durant, <laughs> that's, that feels that feels a little bit like what we're doing right now. But um, I think if there's if there's anybody that could kind of help them, probably be a piece long term and short term, it's maybe Alex Caruso on the Bulls. Hmm. And they're another team that is in a, in not necessarily the exact same place as the Raptors are, because I think with the Bulls, it's actually quite clear what they should be doing. I think they should basically be having a fire sale. And I think he would be someone who makes a lot of sense on that team. He fits the identity. He's one of the best def- defensive players in the NBA. Uh, he's a great playmaker. He gets off the ball quickly. And I think he could just kind of like be a glue a glue guy type of guy for them right um that all sort of is contingent on what the bulls think of themselves though and if they do start thinking about themselves as a team that needs to you know retool it well then then it becomes interesting for everybody in the league right yeah i mean and the bulls what's interesting is it did kind of seem like they had acquired you were talking about like kind of superstar level now neither of these guys are in like that top top tier of superstar Mm -hmm. um I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of demoralizing when you just look at like the class system of the NBA and just think that like you can <laughs> the Bulls built this team with these two solid ISO, solid pick and roll scores, guys who had gotten a whole lot better with the ball in their hands, and it still wasn't going to be enough. Now we we kind of talked about Levine as somebody twenty seven years old. Uh, he's locked in a thirty seven million dollar deal for the next five years. He sort of had the knee issues and things like that. I feel uh, there have been murmurs about him moving um who do you think who do you think has more value right now demar Derozan or, or zach levine i would say just because of levine's age it's probably him he's only 27 years old and he's locked into you know a 37 million dollar contract for the next five years i don't know how you're going to be feeling about it on the tail end of that but you know i think if you're going to be given a lot of assets up you, you're going to take the 27 year old that's locked up now demar 33 doesn't have as much money on his contract. Two years left on that deal. I think maybe it depends on the team and what your what that team's long term plans are. If they want to be making this a free agency splash, you don't want to be locked into a future for too too long. Then maybe Demar makes a little bit more sense. I think Demar is also more gettable for those reasons. Like you know, even with the Pascal stuff, right? Like yeah, you can hypothetically trade Pascal to any team, but thirty seven million dollars makes it difficult. Uh, to you know, find a lot of guys that are going to, or a lot of teams that are going to, you know, be able to just put put the contracts together without taking too much out of you know their own rotations. And I think it's the same deal with Levine because I don't think ultimately Levine is like good enough to really justify you know cobbling together a whole bunch of assets like that for it. Like Demar, to me, for, for that reason, is probably more likely to get traded. You seem like you were pretty enticed by the the idea of Levine. And, and you can tell me whether or not you think this is kind of the ideal situation for him as, as sort mm-hmm. of like a second banana offensive focused, uh, maybe not the pressure on him to be like a primary playmaker type. You seem pretty enticed by the idea of of the Dallas thing, which seems like low probability, right? Like, uh, yeah, Dallas, Dallas is in a tough spot, right? Yeah. So Dallas, Dallas is one of these teams that I think they were going into the season thinking they can't be a buyer because they just don't have anything to, to offer up to other teams. But now Luca is in the midst of this season that you just, you know, I think I was just rationalizing, honestly, Kyle, I think I was <laughs> rationalizing because that's healthy. I don't see anything. wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. For sure. New year. Is Luca's in the midst of just a God mode season that you cannot afford to waste. And the Mavericks, 
yes, Spencer Dinwiddie is playing better. Yes, Christian Wood was is a good addition when he is getting minutes and and being utilized. They have figured some things out. They have great role players, but at the same time, they don't have that top end guy that is going to take enough of a load off of Luca for them to, in my opinion, make an important splash in the playoffs. They just need more, and they can't get it. You know, I've just I've been trying to look for the. I just they can't get a deal that doesn't bite too much into the rotation. Like one of the ones that you mentioned was Dinwiddie and, and uh, THA going for Levine. Why would the bulls do that? That's, that's you just trying to, yeah, that too, right? Like if they're going to go into a rebuild mode, they're not going to want to get, grab those guys. But at the same time, like that also just cuts way too much into what Dallas is doing as well. Like they're just in a tough spot and it's me personally, just, I'm in a lot of pain watching it. So I wanted to throw them in there, but I think you're ultimately right. There's just not a lot for them to do. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Something I wanted to tack on to this, like an important detail um, in this is this is a unique year where at the top of the draft, there are around around like five-ish guys, four or five-ish guys that I think are strong bets that they could become primary guys. Uh, obviously, Women Yama, Scoot Henderson, Nick Smith, the Thompson twins, Brandon Miller, and I would even throw in Cam Whitmore as another guy. So that's kind of got to be factoring into your thinking if you if you're like wanting to maybe free fall and go towards the bottom. But I feel like those those guys, the teams that are in that that sweepstakes at the bottom, that's kind of solidifying. It'd be hard to enter into that. Um, a team that is close uh, is Cleveland, and I, and we were talking about whether or not they should. They're close enough to the point where we got to start to ask the question, are they capable? I think right now they're, what, the fourth seed? Are they projecting as the fourth seed in the East? You were talking about their 17 uh, and 8 in conference, 26 and 14 overall, 7 and 3 uh, in their last 10. Um, do you think that Cleveland should double down? How close are they? Is there something? Is, what do you think is a piece that they should be potentially on the lookout for for Cleveland uh, to, to maybe because they're pretty good. I mean, I, th- I think in the short mm-hmm. term, I think that it's worth. They're clearly they clearly made an aggressive move to accelerate their timeline by going and getting Donovan Mitchell, who has looked phenomenal. Um, should they double down? And if so, what do you think is the missing piece for Cleveland? I think this one's almost a no brainer, just because of how easy it would be to go get that piece. Now, I think you and I might disagree here, but I think they're a Jay Crowder away. Really? Like, they just need that. They they just need that fifth piece. They need it. Bring bring him home. Yeah, they need it. By the way, Kevin Love said that uh, Donovan Mitchell's performance was the best game he's ever seen. Um, oh, he's yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure he, he knows what he's saying, saying there. That's <laughs> interesting. I mean, come on. <laughs> that uh, that um, 2018 game one. I don't really know that anything's ever going to top that. Now, scoring wise, maybe maybe if you put a gun to Kevin Love's head, he would clarify a little bit there. But oh my god, yeah, that was actually I was I was at that game. It was absolutely incredible. Just being being there, also when J.R. Smith did what he did. Um, it was actually it, it gave me a little bit more of sympathy for the situation because I think when you're watching on TV, you know, like. Like you see everything, right? And you see the time situation and the score, but that building was just such chaos and pandemonium that, like, when JR pulled out for a second and didn't take that shot, I was almost like, ah, yes, that is the right thing to do because you're just like, you kind of, like, we all kind of look at other people's actions. Yeah. And we're like, oh, yeah, that, pro- they pro- that probably made sense, right? Like, when you're in a moment like that, it's just kind of, it feels different. Um, but yeah, that was an incredible game, probably one of the best before, like, best performance that i've ever seen maybe the best wish wish i could have been at that one i'm, I'm sad that i missed it that's a, that's a life memory that you're gonna have there i'm jealous what's your favorite performance that you've seen live? oh man oh that's a good question i mean like in terms of like i knew it was going to be special i mean that when banyama like came in vegas but it was an inconsequential game you know uh i'm trying mm-hmm. to think i saw lebron's second or third game in the league at uh it was then at the time it was Conseco Fieldhouse he had like 27 points I think I think the Cavs won on like a Sagana job tip in like at the end of, I mean it, it was wow. a weird Cleveland <laughs> team um 
but a pretty decent Indiana team. I, uh, I'm I don't know that I've witnessed like an incredible, an incredible like game that mm-hmm. meant something. You know, I've I've kind of had those pass me by, honestly. Yeah, but you've gotten some portraits of portrait of the artist as a young man type of performance. Sure, in, yeah, though, yeah, it was it, it was special on that front. Like I, I was glad to get to see, I was glad to get to see that. But other than that, no, I haven't really gotten to see any like significant performances. Not not like the one you get to see. Okay, twenty twenty three. We're gonna we're gonna manifest that for you yeah. right after we read your booster. Um, anyway, but yes, the the Cleveland Clap Cavaliers. I I just think they are they're really close, and I think. More than anything else, I just think that the piece is really obvious. They need that fifth guy, right? And while they lay in wait for maybe the actual fifth guy to materialize himself, like obviously a trade for someone like OG Ananobi is a bit of a fantasy. You know, we talked about maybe a Jarrett Jarrett Jack and OG Ananobi swap. I don't think either team would end up doing it just because of the value i don't think they would take jared jack for og on an um, i think you probably have to throw in more than jared jack yeah i think i don't know jared jacks he's a little older now i don't think that they're gonna want you mean jared allen oh oh my god <laughs> i kept trying to lob it at your <laughs> <laughs> oh my god jared allen <laughs> no i don't think they're gonna take jared yeah, jack anyway. for og on an any no. jared allen yes yeah. i don't think they're gonna i don't think they're gonna take jared allen either yeah. um on that note, I think I think the Raptors are just a little. They're still a little too good to start thinking about get, letting go of those guys. But eventually, you hope a guy like that materializes for them that really makes sense with their core. Um, but in the meantime, I think that there's guys out there that you can get a little bit on the cheap that just fill out that fifth spot. And because of just how little they get from it right now, I think it just makes. It, like it's it's one of those small moves that can make a really big difference and you don't necessarily have to give up a lot for it. Yeah. And and I think that, you know, you you talking about Jay Crowder as I, I think he fits as a stout perimeter defender, sort of in that PJ Tucker mold of somebody that can body bigs, somebody that can bother perimeter scores. You know, he's not gonna be like a mistake eraser, but they have two of those guys who are heavily switchable, um, can be like a mm-hmm. tough assignment type of player. Um, I think that he fits what they want to do to sort of supplement, add to the, the Okoro, you know, I think, I think Okoro, maybe you don't want to lean too heavily on him. Maybe you could depend mm-hmm. on Jay Crowder shooting, which is kind of a dicey proposition in and of itself, but he does kind of make sense for them in that sense, uh, um, in, in, mm-hmm. in the sense of defensively what they need to do. Cause I feel like their offensive identity is pretty set, uh, that, you know, they're 30th in the league in, in pace. So I'm not totally worried about them being one of these like freewheeling young teams that comes into the playoffs and is forced into a half court game. Like they have a solid half court game. They have talented guys and, and sort of a, mm-hmm. a synergy that works, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's like, that's all the more reason that they should just go for it. Right. Like I, I think, you know, sometimes teams, you can definitely move too early, right? Like that's, that's possible. But I think also sometimes teams like I would almost even point to Memphis last season. Now they weren't necessarily ready. Right. But then I think, as this, as the postseason wore on, you know, their rotation got a little bit thinned out and you're sort of like, you're looking at guys that you don't necessarily want to look to in the playoffs to, to make something happen for you. Now, they still saw themselves as like in a developmental moment for their timeline and I think it's worked out for them. They're obviously, they're better this year and I think that they they could actually be a team that maybe now it's time for them to consolidate too. But I, my only point is that you just don't want to you don't want to be ahead of your timeline and then end up in the playoffs thinking like, oh, maybe we should have given up that second rounder for Jay Crowder because he could be really useful right now. Yeah, it, it could force you into making decisions that um, you can be sort of a prisoner in the, in the moment. I think I think we've kind of seen that with the Hawks, like we were talking about. Like, I think if, if you get a misleading kind of the variety of factors that can cause you to end up at that place. But if you end up in a situation where you 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 overestimate where you are as a franchise, it can it can set you back years. I mean, it, it could cause you to make mistakes and move pieces. Mm-hmm. But I think we're kind of in agreement that, like, just to sum it all up, I, I feel like the, the uniqueness of that trio of forwards, I definitely think I would hang on to it, as fun as it is to think about, you know, those guys, the, the Raptors and their little talent pool bolstering these other teams in the league and maybe getting them over the hump. Um, but anyway, it's going to be interesting to watch as the trade deadline comes up. Uh, anything else that you want to plug? Are you What are you working on right now? Is there anything you want to plug before we get going? I got no plugs. What about you? 
Uh, I've, I've got a project coming. I won't say what it is. I'll, I'll just, uh, I'll keep it at bay right now, but uh, a lot of, a lot of cool stuff going on at the ringer as we update our top 100 that's coming. And uh, as all the NBA pods kind of ramp back up, Seared, I'm excited to talk more NBA with you as 2023 uh, uh, unfolds, right? Yeah. I mean, look, the chaos is just going to, well, chaos is a ladder, right? And it's going to descend pretty much until we'll see who the it's trade a ladder deadline. For. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, thanks to Chris Sutton, Hornet Leg, for producing this episode. And we'll catch you next week. <laughs>